And the words, it's alive, it's living. Haven't you ever noticed if you're a, a, a reader of the Word of God that you can just read something, feel the, the spiritual energy from the Word? And isn't it interesting how a, a passage that you have looked at a hundred times can bring, breathe fresh life into you again, you know, over and over? That's because the, the Word's alive, it's living, it's sharp, it's powerful. It pierces, it divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And this is good and bad news. There's nothing hidden in his sight. Now you say, we usually always think of that bad, but it can be good too. The Bible says when you go to your closet and pray and no one sees because you pray to the Father in secret, God sees and he rewards you openly. It talks about prayer and fasting and giving. So there's things we do in secret too that get rewarded. So God God sees all that. And the beautiful thing about God is he doesn't have a heart to crush us you know, we, again, that's the, the world has the idea God's mad at us, he's out to get us, he's, he's looking for some reason to crush us. That's not true. Isaiah says he crushed his son. It's, it's a tender passage and, and devastating passage as you look at it. The Bible says in Isaiah, prophesying about Jesus, it says, and it was the father's pleasure to crush him. Think about that wording. Now you think, poor Jesus, but remember this, Jesus was in on the plan. It was his desire. The Bible says that Jesus was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And so it was the Godhead's goal to redeem humanity, which is still quite mysterious to me, but I'm thankful for it uh, because we got a great big God who passionately loves us. And so last week we were talking about prayer, and we were talking about praying big prayers. And the concept came because Jesus was talking to Uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, and said, would you give me a drink? She said, why should I give you a drink? Basically, Jews and Samaritans don't associate. He said this. Here was the catch line. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you for a drink, you'd be asking me for a drink. So she said, how are you going to draw? She's thinking naturally, and I get that, because we do too. We think naturally. God's thinking spiritually. God's thinking big. And so finally she says, Give me a cup of water so I can drink. Give me some of that living water. But Jesus has a plan for us, and God does too. He doesn't want to just give you the cup. He wants to give you the well. And he doesn't want us just to think naturally. He wants us to think spiritually. A cup of water will last you just a little bit of time. But a well will keep supplying you over and over and over and over, even unto eternal life. Well... Who wants a cup when you can have the well? Now, God's masterful at this, too. Oftentimes, when there's spiritual things going on, there's a natural thing going on at the same time. They're sitting at Jacob's well. Get a hold of this. Jacob's well has been watering the people and the livestock of that area for 1,800 years. Can you imagine that? That well has not run dry for 1,800 years. I know the Samaritan woman knew that. I know people around there knew that. God takes that and says, see how this supplies over and over and over? I haven't got something bigger than that. And so, but this idea of how can I pray big prayers? If we're going to pray big prayers, we have to know the big God. And that's what Jesus is trying to draw out of her. I want you to see who I am. I want you to know who I am. And so we want to discover how big is our God. Because if we're going to pray big prayers, we need to have big confidence in the one to whom we are praying. And every one of us, have, I can't say that for sure, but I know I have, most people have, 
have prayed big prayers in doubt and unbelief. I have. In doubt and unbelief. Well, James tells us, don't let that person think they'll receive anything from the Lord. And that's what we got, wasn't it? <laughs> we prayed in doubt and unbelief. We prayed those big prayers. Sounded good, looked good. People may have even looked at us. We prayed publicly and went, oh, that's a man or woman of faith. We were going, oh, if you only knew what was going on in my heart. I, I can't picture how this can happen. God even works sometimes in our doubt and unbelief. But that's not a normal pattern of doing things. And so we want to discover this great big God. So I want to look at this. I think it's Hebrews that we're going to start off with here. In Hebrews. Nope, it's 1 John. And as we, as we go to, to 1 John, I want you to know this. I want to give us a warning. Jesus is not a genie in a lamp, okay? He's not where you pull out the lamp, you rub it, the genie comes out, which would be Jesus in this illustration. You ask for what you want. He goes and runs and does your bidding as your little servant. And then you put him back and stuff him back in the lamp because you don't want him interfering with your everyday life. You just want him when you have a need. Now, you're going to call him out again when you have a need, but that's not who Jesus is. So we're going to get a look at Jesus here in 1 John chapter 5, 13 through 15. John writes these, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I want to pause there. He's writing to Christians. Okay, He's writing to believers. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may, what's that next word? So that you may know, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm troubled by the fact that I've talked to many genuine Christians who are truly heaven bound, and they don't know they're going to heaven for sure. And they usually tell me something like this. I, I don't know. Who can know? I hope I am. I hope I've done enough right. I hope I've done, well, if you have asked Jesus to be your savior, and you believed on Jesus, you've done enough right. Because it's him. It's not you. And we should have confidence. I don't know. I would not be happy to lay my head on the pillow at night, every night, wondering if I was going to go to heaven or not. I believe you can know and should know before you walk out of this building today whether you're going to heaven or hell. You can know that in your heart. You can leave and say, I know I'm going to heaven. Or you can say, I know I'm going to hell. Jesus is the one who's the answer. So I write these things for you who believe in the Son of God, Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life. I want us to know that. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to, what's the next two words? His will. If we ask anything according to his will. Now, just like I have prayed in doubt and unbelief before, which is not a practice I'm trying to grow in, I want to diminish in that, I have also prayed outside of God's will before, and you probably have too. So we're challenged to pray according to his will. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Amen. That's a big Bible verse, man. That's a big verse. Confidence comes from asking anything according to his will. And it would serve us well to find out what God's will is. Now, God's will is revealed in the Scripture. The Scriptures reveal the will of God. But it doesn't reveal the minute details of life. For instance, I can find out here that I'm supposed to work. I'm supposed to do something useful with my hands. I'm supposed to do that, take care of myself, and help others. That's what the Bible, I know that's his will. But it doesn't tell me where I'm supposed to work. 
It doesn't tell me what my vocation is supposed to be, what I'm supposed to spend my life in and my work. So there we have to seek God, ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And by the way, you may make mistakes along the way, and you get up and say, yeah, that was a bad try. I, I share this story with some regularity. A gal named Carol Van Heis was here, and she said, I need to be involved in ministry. This is my church. I need to do something. She didn't know what to do. So she went on an expedition and tried things. And so she would try this, go, that's not my thing, that's not my thing. The shocking thing was, is she decided she would try like the toddlers, which she knew would not be her thing, and guess what? It became her thing. She went, I, if you would have told me a year ago that I would love working with toddlers, I would have laughed you out of the building. And she discovered something. So it's okay to go on a discovery journey. You know, we know volunteering is good, serving is good, so you can try things and say, hey, I've found my place. So confidence comes from finding the will of God. God's will is revealed through his word. But there are times we don't pray according to God's will, and, and that's the time we need to say, thank you, Lord, for unanswered prayer. Thank you that you did not answer the prayer I prayed that was outside of your will. Because I can tell you, in his will is where blessing and life and happiness and joy and fruitfulness and contentment comes from being in his will. There's a guy named Timothy Keller. I like Timothy Keller's preaching, teaching, his writings. He tells a story of being thankful for unanswered prayer. He was um, a young man, and he was smitten with a lady, and they dated for a while, and he just knew this was the one for him. So he prayed, Lord, help us to get married. She needs some convincing. And so um, after a while dating, she decided, you're not the one for me. Well, he knew she was missing God, so he's praying and pressing in a prayer. I want to marry her. Lord, change your heart. Change your mind. Well, she had moved away, and so there's always that thing about, well, you know, how can we even sustain a relationship anyway long distance? So, Timothy Keller, um, you know, the Bible says that, you know, we can, we can uh, pray, and, and prayer without works is dead. So, he moves to the region, to the area, the community that she lives in. That's probably about two, one to two steps below stalking, but anyway, she, he moves to that area. And so he says, now I've taken away that excuse. Lord help her. Guess what? They never got married. He ended up getting married to someone else. They've been married for 47 years. They had the most amazing, wonderful, incredible marriage. They oftentimes says, Lord, thank you for not answering that prayer. Thank you. And he, he says something, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. He said, I think God says this, I'm going to answer the prayer that you would have prayed if you knew what I knew. And I thought, that's a good line. I'm going to answer the prayer you would have prayed if you knew what I knew. Now, that doesn't cover everything, but there's a lot of beauty in that statement as well. So what I want to look at today, because we're going to pray big prayers, we've got to have confidence in our big God, and so that's our topic for today, our big God. Amen. Our big God. Now, I want to pause and I want to acknowledge our big God in Jesus our big God in Jesus. I want us to see Jesus as he really is. In Hebrews 1, I knew there was Hebrews in here somewhere. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 through the first part of verse 3, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. I want you to catch that. John will tell us as well that Jesus is the creator of all this. We often think of the Father being the creator, but the scripture actually teaches that the Father created through the Son, that Jesus created everything in this universe. He's the creator. 
This is just what the Bible says. Then verse 3 says, The Son, we're talking about Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus was not a created being, uh, and this is my message today, but there's a difference between being begotten and being created. And that's a whole other message, but, but we find in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word. I, I mentioned this half a dozen times here. It's a, a capital W because the person we're talking about here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Once you see that. Now, if you didn't know anything about the Bible, it would be mysterious who's this word person that we're talking about. But if you read on through the first chapter of the Gospel of John, you'll get to verse 14. It says something like this, and the word became flesh or became a human being. And we beheld the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God, the word, clothed himself in a human body and lived among us. See, the scripture says that Jesus will be called, one of his names will be Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Not a kind of a God, not a representative of God, God. Jesus is God in human flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So we start reading through these first four books of the Christian scriptures, the New Testament, which are, we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And as we start reading these, we see Jesus, God in human form, displaying the heart and the mind of God the Father. And Jesus goes on to say, I only did what I saw the Father do, and I only say what I hear the Father say. Now, when we start talking about the triunity of God and God, and if your mind just kind of short circuits, and you say, I just can't figure all that out. No, you cannot. Even Paul told Timothy, great is the mystery of godliness. And he begins to describe God born in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen on by angels. He started describing all this. He said that you'll get no argument out of me, Timothy, that to grasp the fullness of God is mind-blowing. But I also say this. Would you want any other kind of God? He ought to short-circuit us when we start thinking about him, this amazing God we serve. And so what Jesus did, what Jesus said, was 100% divine, 100% God, and the Gospels revealed this God-man, the, the early church father said, very God and very man. Not 50% God and 50% man. Not half and half. He's all God and he's all human. Amazing. And so he comes on this scene, and we see this in Colossians 2, 9. We're going to revisit this, so pay attention. There'll be a test on this. Colossians 2, 9. For in Christ Jesus, all, did you see that word, all, all the fullness of the deity, or we could say this, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. The man Jesus possessed all the fullness of God. Hmm. So Jesus in the Gospels, as we see him, you know, walking the, the, stony, rocky beaches of the Sea of Galilee, as we start seeing him in his human side, he's described, especially by Mark, the Gospel of Mark, but we see this, as the suffering servant. 
Because here Jesus has left the glories of heaven. The Bible says in Philippians, he did not consider equality with the Father something to be grasped at, but he made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant. And so you, you see this going on. It's a really incredible story. And he immerses himself in humanity. Now, all this has a purpose because we want to see how big God is. He immerses himself in humanity, Jesus does. He will taste death that he doesn't have to taste because there's no sin in him. He had no, his mortality wasn't even dying. There's no sin in him, but he accepts and receives the sins of all humanity. I want to say this, your sins and my sins were placed upon him. And you know what? The most wicked, vile sinner today who wants nothing to do with God, guess what? His sins have all been paid for. They've all been paid for. So he's placed his sins. Now, he needs to receive that beautiful gift from God, but all the sins have been paid for. Jesus doesn't keep going back and dying again over and over and over for every person that comes to know him. He has forgiven. Paul said not only are sins forgiven, but the sins of the whole world are forgiven. Jesus did it all. So he bears the sins of humanity, and he bears them with success. His body is sown in death. He's raised to newness of life, and he's an amazing, great big God. So here's John, the beloved disciple. Again, John, the beloved disciple. I always love it because he's the one that called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that. He writes, he said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He was one of the inner three, the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, he, he arguably knew Jesus better than anybody, as well as anyone, if not better than, than anyone. John's the one that placed his head on Jesus' chest. I think about being able to hear and feel the physical heartbeat of this God-man, how awesome that would be. And he puts his head on Jesus' chest, and, and they have this wonderful relationship. And John knew him well. And yet we read on in the book of Revelation, John's been exiled to an island called Patmos. I used to think, oh, he got off easy. Everybody else got murdered brutally, all the other disciples that they did, until I found out that Patmos was an island for the criminally insane. Can you imagine those were your companions and partners on the island, the criminally insane? I mean, the most wicked, vile people. You say, we won't let you out in the public. That's where we're going to put you, John, with those people. And so John has this encounter in Revelation chapter 1. We're not going to look at it, but you can, you can jot it down. Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And John says, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I love that line. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he heard a voice that said, write down these things that you're going to see and hear. And he turned around to see this person who spoke. And when he turned around, he saw this person with a robe down to their feet and a golden sash across his chest. His hair was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. And his voice was the sound of many waters, and his feet shone like bronze burning in a furnace. And the Bible says his face radiated light like the sun. And in one hand he held seven stars. And guess what? John falls on his face before him as though dead. And he said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm the one who is dead and is alive again. 
I'm the one who's dead and alive again. You know who he reveals himself? He tells John, I'm Jesus. I think John, it's the scripture that says, I think John says, thank the Jesus I remember. You know, this glorified Jesus is amazing. And the Bible says he held in his hands the keys to death and hell. What he's looking at in this Jesus is not the suffering servant, but the glorified Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's not looking at the little lamb that was slain. He's looking at the lion of the tribe of Judah. Woo! John was a prayer. Seriously, if you go to his cave, there's a little etched out place. Uh, we had the pleasure of being there. And when he would get down, it said he became an old man. He couldn't get up as well, but he liked to pray on his knees. And there's a place in the cave wall that where he put his hand over and over and over until he, he made a groove in it where he could put his hand there and push himself up off his knees in prayer. I just have a suspicion his confidence in prayer soared even higher than ever had been when he saw the glorified Jesus. Wow. This is who we're praying to. And I don't mean this disrespectful for the artists who have done their best to render Jesus and paint Jesus. And, and they've modernized a lot. But if you go back 50 years, about any drawing and painting that you find of Jesus, he's very, looks very weak, very timid, very, I mean, it'd be like, I don't know, this guy. Just look back at the older paintings of Jesus. It's not the guy in the book of Revelations that we see. And I don't believe it was the guy that walked those shores of Galilee either. Uh, I believe he was a robust man, uh, worked with his hands, you know, all the people in that day. You, you know, today we say, you don't even have any calluses on your hands. Back in that day, everybody had calluses on their hands. The women had calluses on their hands. Everybody had calluses on their hands because it was a working community and a working environment. And he was a worker. But here we see this great big God He's the one we're taking our great big prayers to. Now, I want us to, to look at this. Ephesians chapter 3 is so good. One of the hardest things in, in preaching is what to cut out. I guess it's kind of, you ever read about how they make a movie and there's just like hours of, of reel on the floor where they've cut it down, they've edited it? Uh, that's one of the hard things about speaking is you just look, I just look at this and say, we need to read the whole the whole chapter of Ephesians. No, we need to read the whole book of Ephesians. And, and then you have to go, okay, calm down. You know, let's, let's just stay on point. So we look at Ephesians 3, 19 and 20. And Paul is praying over this church in Ephesus, the Ephesians. And he says, he's praying, I, I want you to know the love, the love of God, this love, that surpasses knowledge. Don't want you to miss that phrase. If you say, I can't get my mind around the love of God, you're biblically correct. The love of God surpasses knowledge. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the, what's the next three words? Fullness of God. That you may be filled all the measure. If you have a, if you're, guys, gals, if you're, if you're cooking something and a, a recipe calls for a cup of flour, it's not filled to the fullness until you have a cup. Half a cup don't do, three quarters of a cup don't do, seven eighths doesn't do, it's got to be the full measure. The full measure in this recipe would be one cup. Until it hits one cup, you ain't there. 
And so we need to be filled to all the fullness of the measure of God. And then he goes on to say, now to him, God, who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now I have, and, and some of you do too, have um, rulers. You have, I got a little ruler on my desk. It's like six inches long. Then I got a, uh, a 12-inch ruler. And then I got, you know, those, those rulers. Some of them are, are eight feet and some are 12 and some are 15, some are 30. Then home I got this big reel that's like 100 feet. And it'll go out to 100 feet. Then I got this thing I walk with, and it'll go to 100 feet too, but then the digits run out, doesn't have enough going far enough. There isn't anything that can measure. It's immeasurable. These words aren't just accidental. It says God is able to do immeasurably more. You don't have a tape big enough to measure it. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Some translations say think then all we can ask, imagine, or think. Now, now how? According to his power. It's not our power. According to his power. But where's his power working? According to his power, does it work within us? So now, let's just blow our minds all the way here. But we're going to do it with the scripture. Not with my suppositions, not with something I heard somebody say, but with scripture. So let's look at this. I want to do this comparison, and hopefully, after it blows our minds, it'll build our faith. So let's look at the fullness of God. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, For in Christ Jesus all the what? Fullness. All the fullness of God lives in bodily form. So Jesus possesses, the man Jesus possesses all the fullness of God. Do we agree with that? Therefore, we say, I think he could do anything. Rightfully so, because he's possessed with all the fullness of God. Uh-oh. Ephesians 3.19, we just read it. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's not talking about Jesus here. He's talking about me and you that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I want to make this clear. You and I aren't Jesus. We're not the Savior of the world. We are not God in human flesh. But what we are, are his representatives on the earth. And see, Jesus could operate out of his own power because he's God. You and I can't operate out of our own power because we don't have any. So you and I have to operate, we have to tap a different power. And that's the power of God. And so according to the Bible, you and I are to be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. And once that happens, it says, Now unto him who's able to do immeasurably beyond all you can ask, think, or imagine, according to his power, not your power, not my power, according to his power, that's at work within us. Wow. Wow. And we're going to have to marinate on that for a while. I mean, not today. We'll be here too long. But we're going to have, I want you to take that thought with you, and I want you to think about that. We make a certain steak a certain way, and we have this certain sauce that we, it, it's a family secret. Uh, we can't tell you what it is. Actually, we buy it at Walmart. But uh, we put it in there, and we put our steaks in there, and we let them marinate. 
Now, I think you all know what happens when you do The flavor of that sauce works its way into the meat. We really like the flavor of that sauce. So what we do is after a while, we flip them over just to make sure it really gets marinated. And we want all that. This word needs to get marinated in us. It needs to get us to where, you know, we just didn't fall in it for a second or two. We, we've been basking. We've been lying in it, letting it soak up into our beings. We are to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, that, the glorious gospel is so amazing. The kingdom of God is so awesome. <sighs> Do we have it all figured out? No. Are we walking in all of it? No. And nor will we ever be. Now, that's not discouraging because we keep moving forward. We keep moving forward. We keep growing and growing and growing and growing. And when we look at this, we say, I look at this verse, I say, i got some growing to do. How about you? I, I, I want the fullness of God in me. And I want his power that's able to immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly above all I can ask, think, or imagine. I want it to be at work within me. Now, I want you to think about this. The power of God working in you will almost always be a blessing to somebody else. It'll be a blessing to you too, but you're, you're, you're called to bless people, to impact the world, to make a difference to those around you. There's nothing in here that says, I just want to be filled to all the fullness of the measure of Christ so I can just sit around and just bask in it all day. No, so I can go be a change agent on planet Earth. So I want this to encourage us. I believe that if Jesus walked in here, in his earthly form as John knew him before he saw him in Revelation, I think our faith would rise. If we said, hey, prayer team, you can have the morning off. Jesus is going to pray for everyone. Or, or I'll say this, and this doesn't mean to be disrespectful to our prayer team, because we've got a wonderful prayer team. But I'm telling you, if I lined up all of our prayers and Jesus over here and said, everybody just pick who you want to pray for you, I, I think Jesus will be the only one that's got somebody in the line. What, I mean, no disrespect to me or you or anybody else, but we would all want him. And that would make sense. But now we have Jesus as described in Revelation chapter 1. And then, I guess, according to what John, happened to John, we wouldn't even be in the prayer line. We'd just be on our faces as though dead before him. We'd probably think my prayer requests don't even matter. I just, I just want to worship at his feet. So I want to encourage you to let this sink and soak into your heart. I, sometimes I see, you know, smart devices come out and take photos of stuff. You can do that. I think that's an awesome idea. Uh, if you say, well, I missed that, you can get on Facebook or on our, our website and go to this part and find out what were those verses. You can actually take a, have a pen and paper or get out your smart device and type it in, what to look on, what to study on, what to think about this week. But you and I, I'm talking to me too, we need to know God more fully. We need to understand him. We need to embrace him. We need to embrace his word. We need to know his word. And now somebody could say, well, well, Tracy, I've been a believer for quite a while, and I, I think I pretty well got a handle on God and his word. Uh, there's still growing to do. We're not going to look at it. But in John 14, Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave. I'm, you know, there's heaven for you. I'm going to make a place for you. I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you to myself. Where I am, there you may be also. You know, I'm going to the Father and this and that. And then Philip raises his hand, and Jesus said, why do you want Philip? And he says, hey, Jesus, if you'll just show me the Father, just show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. I'm going to tell you what Jesus told Philip. He said, Philip, man, he said, you really don't know me yet, do you? After all this time I've been with you, you really don't know me yet, or you would not have asked, show me the Father. 
If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. He was, and so I'm thinking to myself, okay, here was Philip who hung out with him, you know, seven days a week for, for years. And if he missed a thing or two about Jesus, I think maybe you and I might have missed a thing or two about Jesus. So we can keep growing. We can keep knowing him more. So what are we going to do? How are we going to get this knowledge? The, the, really, the revelation of Jesus comes right here and by what the Holy Spirit will show you. Now, I really want to say this. I think everybody knows this, but if you think the Holy Spirit showed you something that contradicts this, he, he didn't show you that, okay? So, so the Holy Spirit will agree with this word, and you get to know Jesus from the word. So I was thinking about this, and I thought, wow, this is, this is pretty big. And then I was saddened that I thought this was big. I think our assignment, not I think, our assignment is this, to read the Gospel of John. Now, here's what's sad, because some people go, the entire Gospel? I mean, the entire book of John? Yeah, it's not like War and Peace, you know? I mean, it's a, it, it will take you about two hours to read it. Now, don't don't make any grimaces or sad looks on your face. Just smile, and everybody will think, man, this person really loves God. Uh, and so, but think about two hours. For, for an assignment the last two hours, most people are like, I don't think I can do that. But I'm just thinking about the life of me and you and the average American. We can watch two, three, four hours of TV every day. And I agree. It takes a whole lot less energy to watch TV than to read or study or think, but we need to read and study and think some. Back a few years ago, I took some college courses just because I wanted to learn more. Didn't matter to my future other than what I wanted to learn more and share more and teach more. And so I was taking two courses a semester, and they said, you will need six hours a week per course. And I thought, I doubt it. They were absolutely right. So I was spending 12 hours every week after work doing these courses. I remember I'd finished work here, and I'd call Darlene, I'd say, hey, I said, um, I can come home and study, or I can just study where I'm at here, but it would probably be midnight before I got home. She said, thank God, I'd be without you a few more hours. Just stay there and work at the work. No, she didn't say that. But I think about the investment we'll make for all kinds of things, and I started thinking, you know, if a person did 15 minutes a day, in eight days they'd go through the Gospel of John. Now, there's an assignment in going through the Gospel of John. I want to make this clear. We're not reading it just to get a gold star. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the Gospel of John. Here's the assignment. We're going to discover the Jesus of the Scriptures. Not the Jesus that you've imagined in your own mind. Not the Jesus that the culture tells us he is. What does the Scripture say about Jesus? As we talked about last week, how does he think? What makes him laugh? What makes him cry? What makes him angry? You know, what breaks his heart? How does he encounter Sickness, disease, the, the, the de demonic world. How, how does he do? And just, I, I just want you, that's why I would like for you to have either a physical Bible to be going through the book of John, or maybe you got a smart device that gives you the ability to type notes and highlight and do all that stuff. I think that's cool. But just to watch it on your screen go by, I need you to really think through and highlight some stuff. And I will promise you this, because the word of God's living. If you will thoughtfully and prayerfully Read the Gospel of John. 
the Holy Spirit will show you some things about Jesus that you never saw before. And you'll go, I never saw that before. I never saw that before. And that's a beautiful thing, because then we grow. So that's our assignment. Read the Gospel of John. It'll take you a couple hours. Now, for those who are very efficiency-oriented, and I'm kind of wired up that way, you could go to a, um, a Bible software program, and you could have it read it to you, but I still would suggest that you follow along. I'm serious. You follow along on your smart device or your paper thing, have some information there, and they can read it to you. And you can get all, all every reader I've ever seen, you can do 1.1 speed, 1.2 speed, 1.3 speed. Now, you've got to be careful because you'll get to a point where, for God so loved the world, he gave the only begotten Son of who ever believed in him, shall not perish, shall have everlasting life. God not send the Son of the world, the world, the world, he might be saved. And then you go, huh? So you've got to slow it down a little bit, you know, so you can actually understand what's being said. And just spend some time letting Jesus and the truths about Jesus marinate in you over the next week or two as you read the Gospel of John. So, I'm not going to check, I'm not going to ask you, that would really be a good idea, everybody who's read the Gospel of John, would you come up front here? And then all the people who are standing there, then have the sitting there has the decision, do I lie? Do I walk up? Do I not? You know, <laughs> no, I will not do that. But I want to tell you, it will help you. It will help you see the Jesus of Scripture.